uh, grab a seat, and as you do, get a Bible on your lap to Matthew chapter 4. And if you need a Bible, there's one on the floor by you. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Uh, Join me there in God's Word. Uh, And as you turn there, um, I want to tell you where we're going today. We're going to talk about our mission as a church. And and this isn't just the mission of our church. It's what we believe the mission of the church is. And our mission is to glorify God by making disciples. And what that means is that everything that we do should be informed by that mission. It should, uh, that should be guiding everything we do. What we do uh, should come out of that, and what we don't do should be guarded by that mission. And um, I want to tell you something that is exciting and also might be surprising for you to hear, but um, uh, um, even what the name of our church is should be guided by this thing uh, called our mission to glorify God by making disciples. And so uh, let me just say it straight up, what's going to happen in 2020, and then me, let me explain why. We are going to change the name of our church in 2020. And let me tell you why. Uh, in the beginning, uh, when our church was planted, we uh, were planted as Harvest Bible Chapel Indy South as part of this a network of churches. We were our own autonomous church, always have been, um, but we were part of this beautiful network of churches that were part of and all pulling together the weight towards this mission to glorify God by making disciples. Uh, in 2017, that network dissolved. And so now, um, to be called Harvest Bible Chapel, um, it, it doesn't necessarily mean the same thing that it did when we first launched. Now, if you're newer here, this might not have any sort of emotional pull on your heart at all. You're like, great, okay. But if you're like, I'm looking out and I'm seeing faces of our core group people, people who are part of sitting in a classroom and part of starting this church, man, this might be hard because Harvest Bible Chapel Indy South has meant something to you. And yet, as we've been praying as pastors and elders since that network dissolved in 2017, we knew a couple things. We didn't want to be reactionary. We didn't want to say, oh, we got to change our name because all of these other harvests are changing their name. Um, We've just slowly, prayerfully uh, talked and thought, and the Lord has finally brought us to a place where we think what's best for the mission and for our church and for clarity on who we are moving forward, we need to change the name of our church in 2020. Um, let me say a couple things about that. So what, 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 what are we going to call our church? We'll tell you probably in a couple weeks. Um, we're close. We think we're almost there. I will tell you one thing. A Bible will still be the middle name, okay? As we get ready to plant Doxa Bible Church in Franklin Township, we want to share this connection of uh, um, what sits at the center of all that we do, and that is the Word of God. So Bible will still be in the middle name, it'll be something Bible Church, okay? You know that much. And, and let me also say this as we get ready in a couple of weeks to uh, tell you what um, we'll be uh, calling this church. Um, let, me, let me speak a prophetic word over you, okay? You ready? 10% of you, no matter what we call the church, are going to hate it. 10% of you, no matter what we call the church, are going to love it. You're going to say, that's the best church name I've ever heard. 80% of you aren't really going to care because you're like, does this change anything about how we do ministry or what we're all about? No. You're like, great. That's fine. And so uh, it's like when um, someone's about to have a baby and they share the name with you and you either hear it and you're like, I love that. Or you hear it and you go, oh, (laughs) you know what I'm talking about. And then six weeks into the kid's life, you're like, I can't picture him as anything else but that name. 
Six weeks in, after we tell you, like, here's the new name of our church moving forward, you're going to be like, great, that, that's what it is. Um, but we just feel it's time to just be clear on who we are and who we aren't moving forward as a church. Uh, last thing I'll say about it, why we were so slow to change away from Harvest Bible Chapel as well is because we shared the city of Indianapolis with two other harvests. And there was something sweet about that and about being together and reaching Indianapolis. Uh, Harvest North uh, has changed. Uh, they are now um, Harvest Church, and Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West is now Radiant Bible Church. And so um, it just makes sense uh, for clarity's sake moving forward, and that's where we headed. Capiche Church, we all good on that? Amen. Um, Matthew chapter 4. You and I both know there is nothing more frustrating than when we are in a season where our faith feels stagnant. Am I right? There's even something about that word stagnant that we just are like, I don't want any part of being stagnant. Uh, we know what it's like to have seasons that are vibrant and we feel the nearness of the presence of the Lord. And, and, you know, kind of the churchy thing we'll say is like, I'm on fire right now. And then we know there's times where it seems distant and it just seems like there's not a whole lot of movement and, and things just feel stagnant. We're going to look today at Jesus' invitation to his very first disciples. Jesus is going to walk up to a couple fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, and he's going to say, we're really going to unpack one sentence that he says to them in inviting them to come be a disciple. And in this one sentence, it gets that kind of this full picture of what Jesus is inviting us to when he invites us to himself. And I'm telling you, what we're going to see here is like kryptonite to a stagnant faith. If we will really understand what Jesus has invited us to as he's invited us to himself in this beautiful thing called discipleship, like our stagnant faith will be crushed under it. I want to talk about it today in the context of our mission. We said this series, we're going to be unpacking and just reminding ourselves who we are as the bride of Christ and what we're all about. And today we're really unpacking the mission. And that is we all exist and we exist together as a church to glorify God by making disciples. We don't have to, uh, we told you last week, we didn't spend uh, any time trying to figure out what the mission of our church should be. The Great Commission lays it out to us, and Matthew 28 says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So that is what's driving us as a church, and that is what's driving us as disciples. Now, if we're going to be a church where God gets glory through disciples being made, we have to know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Agree? Agree? And we have to know what it looks like to be a disciple maker. And so what we're after and why we're here this morning and why uh, Jesus has called you to himself is to be a disciple-making disciple. And there's something embedded in the very first conversation he has with these normal, typical, average Galilean fishermen that unpack for us a bit about what it means to be a disciple and what it means to be a disciple maker. And I don't even want to tease those two apart too much. It is really two sides of the same coin. It's really two parts of this invitation he makes 
to be a disciple. And so here's how I want to structure our time. I want to, I want to go back 2,000 years and get to the edge of the Sea of Galilee and look at what Jesus says to these fishermen. And then after that, we're going to spend some time unpacking this one sentence he leads off with and telling them and talk about the two parts to this one invitation of being a disciple. So get there with me. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. The Word of God says this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were what? They were fishermen. Okay. Um, So many of us in here, we've grown up in church, like you know exactly where this story is going before I even start. You know how it ends. You know how the, what Jesus is going to say to them. You know how they're going to respond. And, 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 and that's good. Um, don't hear me say, Bible knowledge is good. Amen? But sometimes we can grow so familiar with a story, we lose the like shock value of it. And part of what we need to understand starting out, when we, if we have any sort of church background, when we hear the name Peter, Andrew, James, and John, who we're going to be introduced to here in a bit, when you hear those names, you immediately think of them as disciples of Jesus. Am I right? So you think of them as like spending their full-time life following Jesus for three years of Jesus' ministry. What we have to remember is what we're told at the end of verse 18. These, before they were full-time disciples of Jesus, they were what? They were fishermen. They were your typical, average, run-of-the-mill, Sea of Galilee fishermen. They got up in the Galilee region, a Capernaum, the city right there on the sea. They well, wiped the sleep out of their eyes. They got into a boat. They threw nets into water. They caught fish. They fixed their nets at the end of the day. They went back, ate dinner, went to sleep, and got up the next day. And that's what they did. I want us just to remember, these are normal Galilean fishermen. Uh, Erica and I were in Israel in 2014. If you've never been, you've got to go. It's amazing. And um, we stayed a couple nights on the Sea of Galilee. And as uh, the sun was setting one night, I always remember this. I remember a boat taking off uh, from the shore to go out and fish through the night. And I was like, whoa, that's it. That, like, that's what they were doing. Now, there wasn't like this sweet motor on the back for them, right? They were paddling hard and whatnot. But it was just this like moment where I realized like Peter, Andrew, James, John, these were like normal guys. And that's what makes this invitation Jesus is about to speak to him so radical. Look at what Jesus is going to say. Verse 19. And he said to them, uh, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And Jesus extends this invitation to follow him. Now, it, it, it wasn't super uncommon for a rabbi, for a teacher, to have students. It wasn't super uncommon for him to, 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 to have people following him. You know what was super uncommon about this invitation Jesus offers for students to follow him? Jesus isn't fishing, pun intended, in the highest schools of Jerusalem. 
This is where a typical rabbi would have been looking for students. They would have gone to Jerusalem. They would have found the brightest and the best. And these are the people they would want to follow him. Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee. He comes across these typical, average, run-of-the-mill Galilean fishermen. And he invites them, come, follow me. And then their response. But before their response, I want you to understand something. Jesus just said to these guys in the middle of their workday or the end of their workday, whenever it is, come follow me. They're at work. They're doing what they did normally every day. To really let this sink in, I want you to imagine being at the office tomorrow, Jesus walking in and say, hey, come follow me. I want you to picture yourself on the construction site and Jesus walking up, come follow me. This is the radical nature of the invitation that's just extended here. What will they do? Verse 20, first word of verse 20, what is it? Immediately. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately. Is this their first encounter with Jesus? I think you can probably harmonize the Gospels and make some arguments. They probably had already met Jesus. They're probably familiar with Jesus' ministry or his teaching a bit. But still, that doesn't negate the radical nature. He just walked up to them in a normal workday, and he said to them, follow me. And immediately, they get out of the boat. They leave their livelihood. They leave everything they know, and they actually follow follow him. It is no different than if we were in the office tomorrow and Jesus walks in and says, follow me, and we actually do, do it. We're on the construction site, we drop the hammer, and we go. When, if, if, if you could be honest, if this wasn't Jesus calling them, you could look at this and go, this feels irresponsible. Like, what do you mean you're just going to drop everything and go? And they're not the only ones. Keep reading verse 21. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat. And who are they in the boat with? Look at what it says. Who are they in the boat with? Zebedee. And who's Zebedee? Their father. They are fishing with dad. This is a family business. Dad and sons, they go out and they fish. It's how they make a living. It's how they provide for their family. Um, uh, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their who? And their father and followed him. You know what hit me this week? I always think about Peter, Andrew, James, John's perspective. What's that moment like for Zebedee? He's like, there goes my succession plan for the business. What's that like for him? As he watches his two sons climb out of the fishing boat, it's all the family has ever known, and walk after this teacher. And immediately Jesus calls, and immediately these people follow. Now, I want to go back 
to what Jesus says in this invitation here. And I want us to understand this beautiful invitation we have to come to Jesus and to be a disciple of him. Back to verse 19. And he said to them, in the first two words of the invitation, he says to them are these two words, follow me. And so uh, from here on out, and if you're taking notes, I would divide your notes from here on out into two categories, following Jesus and fishing with Jesus, okay? Following Jesus, fishing with Jesus. I want to talk about this invitation Jesus extends to every disciple to follow him. We said this last week. I want to say it again this week, and I probably will say it every week of this series. It is important that we remember, and it's important that we understand That to be a disciple of Jesus is to, ready for it, is to actually follow Jesus. I want it to sink in. To be a disciple of Jesus is to actually follow Jesus. To live how he lived, to go where he wants us to go, to do what he wants us to do. It's to actually follow him. And why that's so important in our culture is because when we grow up in very churched areas, praise the Lord. I, you always hear me talking about it, and I'm, I'm, I'm not knocking it. I'm praising the Lord for the area that we have here, but I also know the danger of it. I know the danger of being um, so, like, churchified. We miss out and truly understanding that we're supposed to actually follow Jesus. You with me? To know, to know the stuff and talk the talk and know how to look the part, but to not actually be following me all. Jesus has called you to an unbelievable, unbelievably exciting life of actually following him as Lord, as master, as teacher. He wants us to apprentice after him. He wants us to know him by faith, and he wants us to follow him in his way. Before the term Christian became a thing, followers of Jesus were called people of the way. We are people who are to follow in the way of Jesus. Luke 6.40 says this, A disciple is not above his teacher, But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. The expectation of Jesus is that we're growing into a greater Christ-likeness. Matthew chapter 11, and you you probably know this passage, but I've missed a little couple words in this passage that are so important. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The invitation to come to Jesus and to take his yoke upon us is an invitation to come learn from him. And he tells us what kind of teacher he is. I am gentle and lowly in heart, or I'm gentle and I'm humble-hearted, and you will find rest for your souls. We are to be always growing as disciples of Jesus in the way of Jesus. It's an invitation, first and foremost, to follow him. Now, um, As we talk about following him, I think it's really important that we think about this reality. Um, In order to follow Jesus, in order to follow Jesus, we have to be hearing how he's leading us. 
We have to be hearing where he's telling us to go and what he's telling us to do. And if right now, depending on how you grew up in the church, you're like, whoa, hold on. Like, how are you talking about hearing? Like, look at what John 10, 27 says. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. It is so crucial for us as Christians to be hearing where Jesus is leading us to go. And you're like, okay, how does Jesus speak to us? How can we be hearing him so we follow him? Uh, God has been so good to leave us with his word. And God speaks to us through his word by his spirit. God speaks to us through his word by his spirit. We do not have to wonder. Um, when, when the Holy Spirit impresses something on our hearts, we test it with Scripture. Does it align with Scripture? Is this something that the Lord would be leading me to? But if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to know how to hear His voice. And I, and I want to talk about how we carve out time to actually hear from Jesus so we can follow the things that He's calling us to. Um, the church I grew up in, here's how we talked about it. The row, the circle, and the chair. Uh, these, these three essential spaces we need to carve out in our life in order to be hearing from the Lord and growing into Christ-likeness and understanding what Jesus is calling us to. By the row, here's what we meant. This, the corporate worship gathering. This is an important place for us to gather, to fellowship to worship together, to hear the Word of God together, and the Lord will speak to us through His Word. His Spirit will prompt your heart through His Word. Uh, His Spirit will uh, convict you and apply things from His Word in specific ways, and this is a crucial space we cannot neglect. But this isn't the only space. We would talk about growing up the circle, and what we meant by the circle is that intimate, smaller group of Christians where vulnerability happened, where we could actually talk about life, where our Bibles were open together and we were praying together, and God at times will use uh, out of the mouth of another Christian something he wants to speak into our heart. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, October, an uh, uh, awesome brother in the Lord walks up to me and he says, Brock, uh, the Lord has been pressing on my heart and he wants me to tell you this. He doesn't want you comfortable. Okay? How do I know if that is of the Lord or of like the imagination of Ross? Well, I'll tell you what, it wasn't of the imagination of Ross, and I'll tell you why. The Holy Spirit has brought to mind Ross's words every week since he spoke it to me in October. And the Lord will use other believers to speak into our life in powerful ways. This is why we can't neglect getting together outside of these walls right here with other believers who know us and know us. They know us um, backwards and forwards. They know us inside and out to be vulnerable and to be with scriptures open in prayer together, walking through life together, speaking into each other's life. You know we need this, right? You know we need this, Right? We have to carve out the time to make it a priority. It will mean saying no to other things so we can say yes to this. But it's not just Sunday morning. It's not just that smaller group of intimate Christians, the circle. It's also, oh, the chair. Come on, y'all, the chair. The chair. If you have yet 
to know the joy of sitting with the Lord in private, personal time, his word open before you, the quietness of him speaking specific things by his word, through his spirit, into your heart, if that regular one-on-one time with Jesus, if you don't know that, this is not a guilt trip. I want you to know the joy of the one-on-one time with Jesus. I want you to know the joy of the quiet, unhurried time with him where he wants to meet with you. It's crazy that he wants to meet with us. Do you have unhurried, quiet time, one-on-one with Jesus every day? Do you have it? Is your life so noisy that you have no time to sit in silence and listen for the leading and the prompting of the Lord? It was June 27, 2017. Um, the ministry was uh, not even two years old, and what God had done in a year and a half plus in the church was unbelievable. The church was vibrant. God was on the move and working powerfully, and my soul was tired, and he felt so distant. And I, I had a drive to Ellettsville, Indiana on that day, June 27, 2017. And I, I, I was like, this has to be a quiet drive. No radio, no phone, no talking, nothing. And I was talking to the Lord. Why, is, why does everyone say, the, the Lord is alive in the church and look at how he's moving. Where are you personally? Why are we so distant? Why, why don't I sense you like I did in that season and in that season? What is going on? And in that car on the drive to Ellettsville, Indiana, June 27, 2017, it wasn't audible, but it was, as it was so clearly pressed on my spirit, it might as well have been audible. The Lord said this, Brock, your life is so noisy and I will not shout. It wasn't audible. It was as clear as day as if it would be. And if that's too charismatic for you, I'm too charismatic for you. I want us to know the joy of Jesus personally leading us. Where he's leading, we know we can, we, the, his spirit is guiding us and we are following him in what he is telling us to do. And he's left us his word to guide us, and he uses his spirit to guide us. Amen? Why am I talking about this? Because we can't be a disciple-making disciple church if we don't know how to follow as a disciple of Jesus, and he wants us to follow him. And so all of that is just the first two words of what Jesus says here. Follow me. And then he says this, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Don't miss both sides of the coin. Don't miss both, both parts of the invitation. 
if you just focus on the latter part. I want to be a fisher of men, and I want to be faithful in that, but you have not learned how to abide with Jesus and how to follow him and how to let him lead you and strengthen you for the work. You will burn out so fast trying to do all the work for him without abiding and following him. You with me? I'm reading D.L. Moody's biography. Um, Powerful encounter with the Lord in New York City in 1871. His biographer notes, before that encounter with the Lord, of which Moody says, like, it was such a holy thing, I can barely talk about it. Before that encounter with the Lord, D.L. Moody would just see a need and just start going, okay, there's a need, there's a need, there's a need, there's a need, and he'd just start doing stuff for the Lord. And as he was doing it, he would ask, God bless me, God bless me, God bless me, God bless me in this work. His biographer notes that after that encounter with the Lord in New York City, he began to slowly wait for what the Lord was actually leading him to. And as the Lord would lead him to things, he would follow in it, and the Lord would provide the leading and the strength to actually do it. We must learn how to hear from him, how to abide, how to follow, and yes, also, what it looks like to actually be fishers of men. What does it mean to be fishers of men? How do we be faithful to this great commission call over all of our lives to take the gospel to those who do not yet know Jesus, to baptize new believers in their newfound faith, to teach them all that Jesus commanded us? This is the amazing mission he has given to all of us. And so often when I meet with someone who's like, my faith is so stagnant. I don't know what's going on. I will ask questions like this. Not to heap guilt, but to try to lead towards this mission. Because when we're living this mission out, I just believe it's stagnant faith crushing. I'll ask him, when's the last time you've shared the gospel with someone who doesn't know Jesus? When's the last time you've known the joy of baptizing a new believer? Who can you point to that you're walking with who's younger in the faith, teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded? I'm telling you, vibrant growth in Christ has always is intended where we're following him, he's pouring into us, we're abiding with him, and we're pouring out in ministry to others, to those who don't know him, to those who are younger in the faith. This is how health with Jesus is supposed to look. You with me? Y'all still with me? All right. We follow and we fish. Now, I think all of us sitting in here, you're like, I want a life like that. I want to be a better fisherman. I want to know how. I, like you read the scriptures and you see what's at, like eternity is at stake and you love people and you're passionate about those who don't yet know Jesus, but you might not feel super equipped to go like, I just don't know how to go about that. I want to lay out for us. And what I'm about to lay out in eight minutes is a whole sermon series in itself, okay? But I want to lay out for us what does a fishing lifestyle with Jesus look like? And I want us, I don't see this as a list, see it as a lifestyle. I want us to see that this is something we all can do. This is something Jesus has empowered all of us who truly know him to do. And so let's step through these things. Um, what does a fishing lifestyle with Jesus look like? First, we start with this. We ask Jesus where he is sending us. Seriously. Yes, and you're like, well, hasn't, doesn't he want, like, hasn't he called us to witness to anyone that we come across who's lost? Absolutely. 
We should be ready on a moment's notice to give an answer for the faith that we have. But there's specific places that I think God calls people. I don't think it's an accident you live in the neighborhood you do right now. I don't think it's an accident you work where you work. I don't think it's an accident you're part of that crazy family you're part of right now, right? God in His sovereignty is working some things, and we need to ask Him, Jesus, where are you sending us? Who are you sending us to? Make it clear to us. Let us hear from you. We don't want to just go and just be like, there's a need, there's a need, there's a need. What are you calling me to? What are you calling us to? Let's ask Him, right? Then we go and pray there. Who's he sending us to? Go and pray there. There's a little pocket of the community. And man, the Lord just will not let our heart go for it. Go and pray there. There's that certain department at work. And I don't know, like, I just, like, I'm just drawn to, like, go and pray there. You'll be shocked what God will do when you go places he's leading you to go and you just start praying. I'll tell you a story of that in a minute here, but let me go to this one. Identify a person of peace. Some of you are familiar with that expression. Some of you aren't. This is taken right out of when Jesus sends his disciples out and what he tells them to do. When you get into a village, look for a person of peace. What's a person of peace? Very simply, it's someone who welcomes you into the community. You'll know, you'll know it, okay? So here's the story. Eric and I um, did some discipleship training in October. Great week. Teacher named Curtis Sargent, doing phenomenal ministry of uh, disciple-making all over the world. Um, he, we, you know, he's the one who was training us on a lot of these things. And so at the end of the week, Eric and I were going for a walk in Franklin, and we just said, wait, let's try to apply this stuff Let, instead of just going for a walk. So we stopped before the walk, and we just said, Lord, Help us not miss anything you want us to do and help us not miss anyone you want us to minister to. Just lead us on the walk. And we started walking. Um, we can't walk through Franklin without the kids wanting to stop at the Franklin Skate Park. They use the half pipe for slides, right? And uh, so we're playing at the skate park and there's no one there. Three upper teenage kids um, come up to the skate park. And I'm like, guys, get out of here. Clear the way. Let, you know, get out of the way. And one of them was like, no, 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 let them play. Like, we'll go around them. Just let them play. Let them have fun. And then he was like, hey, do, can I t show them, like, my skateboard? Like, can, do they want to try my, and I'm like, person of peace. He's welcoming us to the community. And all of a sudden, like, my heart starts beating. And I'm like, okay, like, Lord, I can do this. And I'm like, small talk. Yeah, like, you know, tell me about those trucks and what bearings you use, right? I have no idea, like, what I'm, any sort of skateboard lingo I've heard in the past, I'm reaching for. And finally, I'm like, hey, man, this is, might be super weird. Can I pray for it? Is there anything I can pray for? And he's like, like right now? I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh boy. Yeah, I was like, yeah. And he's, he rocked from back on his heels forward, and he said, and he just poured his life out, and it was heart-wrenching. And there we are, the skate park in Franklin, praying over this kid. And I'll tell you what, I believe in my heart of hearts. When winter lifts, 
and those skaters come back to the skate park, we have an in with the community now. And it's not because I'm so like hip and cool or can skate worth a lick. It's not because they trust me, it's because they'll trust Cade. And Cade will be a person of peace into that community. I believe it in my heart of hearts. You've identified the person of peace, then you share the gospel with whoever will listen. And you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, but that's the part that's hard for me. How do I do that? Start. How do I do that? Walk across the room. How do I do it? Turn the conversation spiritual. How do I do that? Open in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. Start reading verses 1 through 10 and let God's word share the gospel itself. You will be on, you will be blown away how faithful our God is to his gospel message out of the mouth of fumbling, bumbling, what we can feel like fools at times, right? Like, I'll get done sharing the gospel with someone, I'll just be like, where's the hole I want to crawl in and die? And they'll be like, how do I know more about Jesus? I'm like, what? From that? <laughs> He's faithful to his word. He loves his gospel message. And he loves with his, when his kids fumble and bumble all over themselves trying to share it with people. Then after that, we baptize new believers. And oh, by the way, if you want to know like where we stand, if there's a pond right there and they want to be baptized right there, walk down to the pond and baptize them. Or get them here on February 9th to be baptized and you're the one baptizing them. People have asked us since uh, at our church, a lot of people who aren't pastors baptized. You're like, is that okay? I, yes. The Great Commission is for every Christian we are to go, we are to baptize, we are to teach. If Jesus wanted to enlist only people in vocational ministry, his movement can't move like he intends it to move. You with me? And if you're wrestling with that, like I just wrestled with it from the word. Because we just believe he has called every believer to the Great Commission. Yes, you should be baptizing new believers. And then... Teach them to obey all Jesus taught. Don't leave them with just a gospel presentation. Don't leave them just standing there after their baptism wondering what's next. Here's the hard work. To walk alongside them, to teach them, to disciple them, to get God's word open, to walk with them and show them what it looks like to follow Jesus. I had never experienced this till 19 years old, and if you've been around our church, you've heard me tell this before. Um, I got up the first Sunday morning when I went off to college. I had no idea where I was going to go to church. I heard some guys in the locker room the night before talk about one, and so that's where I went. I walked in. I sat in the back row. I sat in the back corner of the back row. I thought I was protected by the two walls, and I wasn't. And this guy, Kurt Glancy, walks up to me, puts his hand in mine, and he says, hey, I'm Kurt. We talk. He says, can we go to lunch on Thursday? I literally felt cornered, literally felt cornered. And I'm like, yeah. I walk out. I'm like, that was weird. We go to lunch that Thursday. At the end of that lunch, he says, you want to go to lunch next Thursday? We go to lunch that Thursday. He asks, hey, do you want to start studying this together? We start studying that together. He's like, how about this next? We start studying that. He calls when Christmas is coming. He says, it's almost Christmas. You're probably sick of looking at dorm cinder block walls. Why don't you come over and hang with my family? He calls again, why don't you come hang, over with, hang out with my family? 
And until God called him home at 41 years old, every Thursday, Kurt and I, Bibles open, every, all, all the time outside of Thursday life together. What does it look like to teach people all that Jesus commanded? Here's how I say it. Life together with Bibles open. Life together with Bibles open. And through college, this man did life together with me with Bibles open. And I'm telling you, for this congregation, God is calling us to do life together with Bibles open. And you're like, I don't feel equipped for that. That's what we're here to help with. But I will also say this, the Great Commission ends with this for a reason. And surely I am with you always. You know what I've been blown away with? Every, play, every place in Scripture, uh, uh, the Lord speaks into fear. How does He always speak into fear? He says, fear not for... He ne- it's amazing. I was just talking to the kids about this the other day. I'm like, He never says, fear not. And now here are all the rational reasons why that thing out there you should not fear. He says, fear not. Why, God? Because I'm here. And so as we think about sharing the gospel, walking with them, we don't fear. Why? Because he said he would go with us. You with me? And so we have to be a church. If we're going to be a church that glorifies God by making disciples, we have to understand that to be a disciple of Jesus is to follow Jesus, to abide with him, to hear from him, to know where he is leading us, and then to be faithful to fish with Jesus. And I'm telling you, as we abide and follow, and as we fish for those who are still lost, this is the vibrant invitation of discipleship that Jesus has called us to. Amen.